and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in everyday normal rhythms of life. I got three gentlemen with me on the podcast. Guys, would you introduce yourselves? Kevin Kenora, biblical counselor. Sam Schmidt, pastor at Sacred City Moline. Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. All right. Well, we are in the deep end of the pool right now. We are talking about the doctrine of salvation, specifically what scripture teaches on how we are saved. And we could say we're seeing things, we're studying things from God's point of view, things that we don't necessarily see from from our perspective as human beings, but what God reveals to us in his word. And we're talking about the doctrine of election, predestination, effectual calling, regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. And this has often been called um, Calvinism. And though, you know, we, we've, we said in the last podcast, it's, it's just biblical faith. It's just biblical teaching doctrine of salvation, how we come to know Jesus Christ and we get made into his image. And uh, we answered some questions last time. We built a little bit of a foundation. We're going to go a little bit farther. We're going to answer some more questions today. Um, these questions, some people, so as soon as you say, okay, if God has predestined some, that means he didn't predestine others, mm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now this is a difficult doctrine for us to understand, not because it's not clear in scripture, but because from our point of view, it just doesn't look fair. Mm-hmm. It just, from our perspective, it, it doesn't look fair. So let me answer that. Does, if God predestined some, does that mean then, he doesn't predestine others. That means they have therefore no chance to go to heaven. Sam, what does that mean? Yeah. It, God in, in choosing some means that there are some that are not chosen, that he, he know, it's only those, that allotted elect that will receive God's grace and mercy that will lead to salvation. And there are going to be people that don't receive that. So, yeah. So we start from Romans, you know, 8, 28 to 30. Are there some people who will not be glorified in heaven? Well, all who are justified will be right. glorified. So yes, there will be some who are not glorified because they'll go to hell, right? They go to hell, they won't be glorified. Why, why were they not glorified? Because they weren't justified. Why were they not justified? Because they were not called. Why were they not called? Because they were not predestined. Why were they not predestined? Because they were not foreknown by God. So where does the argument come from where... A lot of people are saying that, um, didn't Jesus die for all? That's a great question. And Jesus, so the word all is used in different ways in the, in the text. Um, just like the word, the word world is used when they, the, the, the New Testament writer said the gospels went out, went out to the whole known world. Well, their meaning, the, the, you know, the Greco Roman known world at the time, they don't mean it was over in China right? They mean, they mean the known world. That's what they mean. And so sometimes when he's using all, what he's, he's not meaning every single person in all of creation. He's meaning all of the elect. Mm. And the elect are from all over the world. Okay? So now we see this very clearly, and this is going to be kind of a sustained argument that Paul lays out for us in Romans chapter 9. And this is what he says. I am speaking the truth in Christ. 
I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever and ever. Amen. So he's noting here that salvation that comes only through Christ came through the Israelites, right? But he's looking at the the modern-day Israelites, and he's saying, I am grieving for my brothers, the Jews. I'm grieving for them because they've rejected Christ, Mm -hmm. right? But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So remember, just becoming, just being an ethnic Jew does not make you a true Jew. You can only become a true Jew by faith in Christ mm-hmm. because Christ is the Messiah. Okay? I'm going to keep reading. This is his argument. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So again, going back to Isaac and Ishmael, one was the work of the flesh, one was the work of the spirit and faith. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, hear this, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. So let me keep reading. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. So Paul's saying that just because you're a Jew, an ethnic Jew, does not mean you're a true Israelite, does not mean you're a true Jew. You have to, the Israel of God are the people of God who embrace him by faith. And that comes from the gift of God that's given through election. And he says this, he chose Jacob over Esau when they were both, and there were twins, in their mother's womb. And he says specifically, he chose the younger over the older, not because of works, but because of him who calls before they had done anything, either good or bad, it says. So again, we, this is this election, this predestination was not because one of them was better than the other. Let's keep reading. Now, immediately, what, what's our human response to that? Rude. Yeah. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem just. That doesn't seem right. Why would he choose one son over the other son, Mm. right? Well, listen to what he says. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, it's my prerogative 
to give mercy to one and not the other, to give compassion to one and not the other. Now that brings up a great point because we say, well, that doesn't sound just. Well, thank God it's not just actually, because if God was just, who would he have mercy on? Nobody. Nobody. If God was only just, Mm -hmm. every single one of us would be a child of Ishmael. Every single one of us would not be in the covenant. Every single one of us would be predestined to hell Mm -hmm. because that's what our sins have earned for us. But God is more than just, he's merciful. So some might read that and be like, well, so does that mean God's only picking one from each family? Well, he, he clearly shows us through the text that no, that's, he's choosing millions, mm. right? He's, he's choosing millions and millions, <clears throat> maybe probably billions, and maybe even trillions by the end, mm. by the end of this whole thing. <clears throat> Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and c- compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Do you see that? Salvation is dependent not on our human will or exertion, not on our ability to profess faith and be good and do the right thing, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up. Speaking of Pharaoh, why? That I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Mm. So we see here that God hardens hearts mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Well, you will say, to Paul, now we're getting really bothered. Now this is, how dare God do that? Mm-hmm. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Okay, so if a person is predestined to be a sinner and never be saved, why would God judge that person as a sinner? And the answer, ultimately the answer is because that person is a sinner mm-hmm. and God is just. Yeah. But here's what Paul says. You will say to me, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? The answer to that question is no one can resist God's will, ultimately. And then then Paul turns the question back around to us. He says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Now, he's a savage. <laughs> he's a savage, but I how many it. people are doing this in our day and age? They're saying to their molder, why have you made me like this? Why am I this color of skin? Why am I this gender? Why do I have this weakness in my body? Why am I like this? Why am I like this? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me, like, made me like this? Verse 21, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? In other words, I am the potter. I can make a pharaoh for dishonorable use. I can make a Pharaoh to raise him up and give him power so that I can show my sovereignty over him by dashing him into the sea. Mm-hmm. I, God saying, I have the right to do that. Yeah. What if God, and now he, this is a question here. What if God desiring to show his wrath 
and to make known his power has endured with much, much patience vessels of wrath prepared for de destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. In other words, some of the wicked people of the world that God has not chosen, we see their wrath, we see their wickedness, we see their injustice, we see their violence, and we should look at them and go, but for the grace of God, that's what I would be like. Mm -hmm. mm. But for the grace of God, I could be a mass murderer. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So he allows these vessels of wrath to exist in order... It's like the, the black backdrop that, a, that a, a star can shine. So if all of us were good, if all of us were sinless, if all of us were chosen, then we, we wouldn't understand what God had done. We wouldn't be able to see right. how bad we really were because of the fall. And you wouldn't be able to see just the glory, the beauty of, of mercy, if, if everything's sort of neutral, you don't get to see the negative side of justice and wrath. That would, the, the contrast between God's mercy and wrath would not be as evident. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so th this is very clearly teaching that God predestines some for salvation and he predestines others for wrath. Now, he doesn't predestine those for wrath in the same way as he predestines those for glory. In order for God to save us, it takes his active work. Yeah. He, has to he has to predestine us. He has to call us, right? He mm -hmm. has to regenerate us. He has to well, he has to send Jesus to live for us and die for us and be glorified and send the Holy Spirit to us. It takes all of that work for God to save us. God doesn't have to do any of that for vessels of wrath. Right. All he has to do is allow what's called, so it, it's called his passive will. He has to allow them to be born mm -hmm. because they're born in sin and they just sin. Yeah, they, the natural course of humanity would be to just, nosedive yeah. into judgment. So some say that this is called that. So what we call it, it's called double predestination. And, and there's some even Calvinists who don't believe in double predestination, that God predestines some for heaven and predestines some for hell. They say he predestines those for heaven, but then he just passes over the others. Mm. Right. So that's, that's what some people believe. Right. So that's what, so yes, that's the difficult, that's the difficult text mm. that God shows us very clearly what He's doing, what He means. He's sovereign over salvation. That's the reality. But but that text isn't meant for us to think God's unfair or think God's unjust. It's meant to show us the beauty of our own salvation, how much love and forethought and work that God did in order to save us. Yeah. Now. Out of that come all kind of practical questions. And in our visitor forum this past week, we had a, a, new, a new woman who's just came to faith and she's, she heard the sermon on John 10 and she was like, okay, well then why didn't God predestine my neighbor? Okay, now 
I'm sure she's saying that because her neighbor is not a Christian. And I said, well, no, no, no. I think that's the wrong question. I think from my perspective, maybe God has predestined your neighbor because he predestined you to be her neighbor. Yeah. He moved you into the neighborhood right. and he gave you faith and he saved you in order that you could share that message of the gospel mm. to, to your neighbor. Yeah. Right. And so in a week, a month, a year, 10 years from now, that woman may come to faith, mm-hmm. right? So there's no way human beings on this side of heaven can say that person was chosen, that person was not. Mm. We, we, yeah. Now, if a person lives their whole life in disobedience and rebellion against God, and dies, then we could say that person was unregenerate. That person was not predestined, right? Because of the, we, we see the output of their life. But there have been millions of people, even on their deathbed, that have given their life to Christ. Yeah. <clears throat> and that, that's the sheer grace of God. Yeah. <clears throat> right? That's the sheer grace of God. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? And you wrapped it up in a bowl, well, it sounds like. I think, so this is another thing, uh, getting into practicalities, is, is Calvinism, is, if we're all Calvinists and we believe God predestines people, and, and if he's predestined them, then they're for sure going to get saved, then what's the point of mission? Like, why why should I go and evangelize? And if we actually work this idea out that God not only predestined my salvation, but then also predestined the good works for me to do, once being saved at the top of the list of good works to do is to evangelize Yeah, <clears throat> is to proclaim so that others who have also been predestined might hear and come to faith. How, how can you come to faith if you haven't heard and how can people hear if nobody's told them? Yeah. So <clears throat> the way I say that is God has predestined the end mm-hmm. of salvation and he's also predestined the means mm-hmm. of salvation and the means of salvation is the preaching and the sharing of the gospel, right? So I I illustrate it like this. Imagine someone comes to you and says, God has predestined for you to go fish in that pond and you're going to catch 700 fish. Would you go, well, I'll just sit here and see if that that really happens. Every, you know, people say people like to fish. Maybe people do like to fish. I don't like to fish. I like to catch fish, right? (laughs) And if I knew that when I went out to that pond, number one, there are fish that are going to bite on that lure and I'm going to bring home some fish, I, that motivates me even more to go fishing. Right. If I think, which is the reality, the reality of when I'm actually going to fish is much of that, the, the ability of me to catch that fish is my ability as a fisherman. Mm-hmm. I got to know the water temperature. I got to know the right lures. I got to know the right fish in the right? If I'm, if there's no bass in here and I'm fishing with bass lures, I'm not going to catch something, Mm -hmm. right? So my ability to catch fish normally is completely dependent upon my ability as a fisherman. If we think our ability to lead others to Christ is completely dependent upon our ability to share the gospel perfectly and counter all their objections, we're not going to have any confidence in sharing our faith. Yeah. Right. But if I believe God is sovereign over salvation and he brought this person into my life, I believe he brought them into my life because they're going to believe. Yeah. And so I can share the faith with them and they can come to faith. Now, we see this all throughout scripture. We see Jonah, God predestined people in Nineveh to be saved, tells Jonah to go preach. And Jonah's like, uh-uh. no, he, does, yeah, he doesn't want to go. But then when he eventually goes, he's like, God's going to kill you all. You better repent. Just the worst gospel presentation ever in any of all the the Bible. And what happens? 
Whole city turns. Freaking worldwide revival. Why? Because God predestined it. Yeah. So it wasn't the bait that Jonah put on the end of the hook. Right. God just wanted to use Jonah and compel these people. So God sovereignly saved them. Yeah. Right? So it gives us great confidence and great motivation to go fishing. And that's what Jesus said mm -hmm. to the fishermen, right? I'll teach you how to fish for men. Right. And that's what we want to do. So knowing that God is sovereign over salvation gives me confidence and motivation to get out there and fish, mm -hmm. to get out there and share, share the gospel. Now, some questions people ask are, and we got this email, you know, growing up, my sibling or my good friend or whoever it is was on fire for Jesus as a teenager. And now they go off to college and they encounter some arguments or whatever, and they, they fall away. The question is always, so what was that? Was my sister or brother or friend really saved? Did God, has God predestined them to salvation? You, you guys want to answer that before I just answer the own, my own question? Well, I would say, it, again, we, we talked about God's vantage point rather than the vantage point of man. Like, how do we really know? We can't fully have the knowledge of what has internally gone on. However, Jesus tells us we know a tree by its fruit. And so if somebody has, has come to faith legitimately and they go through a season of falling away or apostatizing, if they truly are safe, God will bring them back. It's yes. like a boomerang. So it's possible that people backslide, people fall away, but the story is not done. Do we have any evidence of that in Scripture? Uh, I think the apostles all fell away. Well, yeah, Peter, of course. Peter? David? That a man after God's own heart commits adultery and murder and, mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. Like, clearly, we have evidence of this in Scripture that believers can go through very dark seasons. Mm -hmm. Sin is so difficult and rampant and, uh, and Satan is attacking. So, clearly, believers can fall away. Yep. Yeah. But if they are true believers, they will always come back. So, right. if they are predestined, they will come back. Yep. God cannot predestine and call someone and justify them and them not be glorified. And then turn them away. Yeah. Yeah. He says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's yeah. what Jesus says. Mm. Not one. I am the good shepherd. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Yeah. So what I would do when I'm dealing with that personal is I would be talking to that person and say, man, I know that was a genuine faith. When you were a child, I know that was a genuine faith. What's happened? What's going on? Mm -hmm. And I would continue to invite them to church, continue to invite them into missional community, continue to share the gospel with them because the gospel produces fruit. Yeah. Right, the God, the Colossians says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all around the world. Everywhere it's proclaimed is bearing fruit, and that person, it might be five, it might be ten, it might be twenty years, but yes, if that person had a genuine profession of faith and, and they were called and, and justified, they will come back. They will come back. Yeah, that's good. I was thinking uh, the guy in First Corinthians that was under church discipline would be another example yeah. of a guy who, I mean, really going off the rails. <laughs> And God working a way to bring him back into the fold. Yeah. Paul tells him specifically, turn this man over to Satan so that Satan can buffet his flesh mm. so he can get, he can reap what he sows, not have the Christian community for a while, and then be brought to repentance. And that's exactly what happens. That, that man comes back. Yeah, that's good. So, because guys, living away from Christ, Jesus says, I come to give you life and life more abundantly. Yep. You can't find life and life more abundantly away from Jesus. Right. So when a person walks away from Jesus, hopefully hopefully their life falls apart. 
hopefully things go bad for them mm-hmm. and they come back to the source of life and life more abundantly, right. right? But again, if we see that person fall away from Jesus and never return, then more than likely that person was not predestined. That person was not. And that points us to the, the parable of the soils too. That's another uh, framework that Jesus has given us to understand, okay, there have been seeds that have been scattered and some respond differently. Some get choked out by weeds, some fall on the rock and, and it, they don't last. And so there's um, the, the external fruit or what seems to be a response to the gospel may not always be a legitimate response. Oh to man, it, right? I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And I know I saw hundreds of people, kids come to faith. And I I use that word come to faith, but many of them were doing it because they had a cute girl that they wanted to impress. Many of them were doing it because it was the cool thing to do at the time. A lot of their friends were doing it, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and so people can profess their faith in all kinds of different ways. And some of them, it might've just been an immature faith. And then when they got challenged, they didn't have the ability to, to, you know, answer the, the challenge. And guys, we, Jesus says that his way is narrow and the way of the world and the way of the enemy is very wide, yeah. right? And so it's easy to get to, to get sucked into that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that puts us back into a conversation about discipleship. Having, when people do have these responses, the, the urgency of discipleship and investing and, and helping people understand what the faith is that they've received so they would move towards maturity. Paul says uh, in one of the openings, uh, I think it's Colossians, he talks about my, my desire is that everyone would be mature in Christ, that everybody would really move on from these basic um, elementary st- um, uh, kind of faith into a deep and robust faith. And if we don't have a discipleship pathway, if we don't have a way to nurture and to cultivate true discipleship, then we're going to see people falling away. Yeah. yeah. And so out of this, people would ask, well, then how do I know if I'm saved? And the, the question that he just, that, that the scriptures, you know, the, the answer that the scriptures return to over and over is, you know, you have, you do, you do look at, look at the fruit of your faith. You do yeah. look, do you love Jesus? Yeah. If you love Jesus, you only love him because he loved you first. Right. Yeah. Right? And are you walking with Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Are you confessing your sins? Are you repenting? Well, then you're, you are chosen. Mm-hmm. Then you are predestined to do that because that wouldn't be happening if you weren't. Yeah. Right? But you're also not going to do it perfectly either because there's some people that, like, as you're walking and you have fruits and all the things, like, sometimes it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you're going to fall off from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jesus is sovereign over that and he is promised to be faithful, to bring us to the end, mm-hmm. right? To complete our salvation, to yeah. finish the work that he started. That's yeah. what he says. Finish the work that he started. Mm-hmm. He is mm-hmm. faithful to do that, yeah. right? <clears throat> so another question people often ask is, well, how could God be a loving God if he condemns some? Mm. How could God be a loving God if he condemns some? Now, first off, we'd have to define, I, I would just say you have to define love because God is love. Mm-hmm. And so whatever God does is loving. And so you can't have your own definition of love. If God does it, it's, it's loving. Um, C.S. Lewis has an interesting way of describing this. <clears throat> and, and C.S. Lewis says that every single person in one sense that will go to hell, chose it. Mm. They chose it. Mm-hmm. In other words, That's deep. he says, there's only two types of people in the world. 
those that say to God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And those that say to God, my will be done. My will be done. Mm. In other words, I don't want Jesus. I don't want God. Like Satan, I want to be God. Mm -hmm. I want to be in control of my body. I want to be in control of my life. I don't want to waste time at church. I don't want to give of my resources to God. I want to use this life to maximize what I think is best, right? Sleep with who I want to sleep with, you know, do whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. It could be just be a good moral person, make a lot of money and relax and be on the beach. When, but when a person says, my will be done, yeah. then God says, okay, mm-hmm. that's hell. Yeah. Romans 1, giving people over to their di- desires. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Giving people over to their own desires. So, and this, C.S. Lewis has got a, a, just a brilliant book on this whole topic that people on their way to hell go through heaven and they hate it. That heaven is too real for them that even the blades of grass are so real that it pierces their feet when they walk on it. And they're like, oh, I hate this place. They literally want to go to hell, Mm. right? Because hell is the place. Well, let's just say, if you don't want God in one sense, this isn't totally theologically accurate here, but hell is the place where God isn't, Mm. right? Hell is the place where God isn't. Heaven is heaven because that's where God is. Mm All of his goodness, all of his grace, all of his mercy, all of his kindness, all of his love. That's where it is. That's good. <clears throat> any other questions, thoughts? Do any, what, what are some other things? Any other things that you guys can think of? Objections or people that have a problem with, with quote-unquote Calvinism or God's sovereignty in, in salvation? Yeah, I think even, even to your last point, one thing I've found, how, how could God be loving and, you know, let some people go to hell? What I've found to be a significant turning point in the conversation is people don't quite realize. They, they make it sound like everyone's going to heaven and God's sending a few people to hell. When really the reverse is true. It's like everybody is going to hell but for the sovereign action of God, right? And so I, I've had this conversation a few times. That seems to be when we can kind of cross that line it's like no no this this kind of lie of oh well i'm a morally neutral person and god's sending me to hell for no reason it's like no 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 we were dead in our trespasses and sins right all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god it's just it's it's a different way to to think about it but it's yeah a refusal and it's meant for those of us who are in christ it's meant to maximize our worship yeah you know, it's meant to maximize our worship. Like we, this is why we worship so passionately. This is why we want to live our life for Christ because Jesus didn't die for morally neutral people. Right. Mm -hmm. There would have been no debt to pay. God's action on the cross would have been a gross overstatement, overreaction. If all we needed was a bandaid, if all we needed was a few Bible verses and call him in the morning, Mm -hmm. he wouldn't need, have needed to send his own son to die. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So is this the only uh, big thing what breaks down Calvinism? Because you're focusing in on predestination and kind of walking through this. What are some other big pieces of what separates Calvinists from others? Well, there's a lot. There's a lot in there. So if we use the famous that was developed after Calvin, what's called TULIP, it's Mm -hmm. the framework called TULIP. 
it begins with total depravity. And that's what we described. You're dead in your trespasses mm -hmm. and sins. There are some that believe that we're not totally depraved. We're not, now totally depraved does not mean utterly depraved. Utterly depraved means we're as bad as we possibly could be. No, no, no. You can always make it worse. Yeah. Right. You can all, everyone can be worse than they are. Totally depraved means that our sin runs from top to bottom all the way through even our good works. That's what totally depraved means. Mm. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. There are some that believes that, that, like Methodists believe in what's called a prevenient grace. There's many people that believe that we're not born completely dead. We're just born um, morally hindered, right? Prevenient grace means God's given every single person a little bit of grace mm. that restrains some of the evil in them and gives them the ability to put their faith in Christ so that if everybody, so God, Jesus kind of died for all and yet only a few will actually choose him. To me, the, the whole analogy of salvation and Christ dying for people then breaks down. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it's, the, um, it's like this. If I go into a restaurant, if I see you and your wife eating at a restaurant and I go up and I pay for your meal, right? Mm -hmm. I walk out, I paid for your meal. I didn't pay for anybody else's meal, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go up and you try to pay for your meal, they're gonna go, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, your meal's already been paid for. And you'll be like, well, no, I, I'm gonna pay my meal. And they're like, no, sir, like they won't let you pay yeah. because your meal, has, your meal has already been paid for. Well, when Christ died, he paid the price for all the elect. That means we don't have to pay that, okay? Yeah. Now listen, if God, if God paid the price for everyone in the restaurant, then they couldn't go to hell mm. because their price has already been paid. Yeah. So now some people's question is going to be, why repent? Why, re why repent? Explain that. What do you mean? So why repent? If, like, if, it's already, if it's already paid for, all my sins are already covered, why repent? Because that is one of the works that God has predestined for okay. us to do. Mm -hmm. And he, so here, here's the deal. Our repentance, that's like you have your sons, you, you, you have your sons. Imagine if they said to you, like they're, they're sinning against you, yeah. and they say, I'm not going to repent. Mm -hmm. What does that do to the relationship? It starts breaking the relationship. Does it, does it can't, are they still sons? Mm -hmm. They're still adopted. They're still mm -hmm. in the family. They're still mm -hmm. sons, but it breaks the relationship. Yeah. One of the, the greatest blessing of our salvation is knowing God and walking with God as our heavenly father, right? And so our lack of repentance hinders our relationship with him. Mm, that's good. That's one, right? We want to be in right relationship with the Father. Yeah. I think also as you were talking through that, the, the idea of like this, the atonement or the, the Christ's blood covering the sins of, of the whole world, if that's the case and people refuse that, then it means that some of Jesus' blood has been shed in vain. Mm -hmm. That if people opt out and say, ah, yeah, no, thank you. Well, Jesus already laid it down, but Jesus doesn't waste it. Yeah, it's a physical impossibility the philosophical impossibility. The analogy with the, the restaurant. If he paid, so here's the idea. Your sins have to be paid for. Either Christ paid for them or you pay for them in hell. Mm -hmm. The wages of sin is death. Yeah. God can't charge the same sins twice. Right. He can't charge them to Jesus and charge them to you. Mm -hmm. So Jesus could not have died for the sin of the non-elect those who aren't going in hell because God can't double charge, yep. right? You can't convict two people of the same murder if only one person did it. Double jeopardy. Double jeopardy. It, it, you can't do that. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so 
total depravity. People, people disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Unconditional election. People mm-hmm. disagree with that. Unconditional election is God with not any conditions, no preconditions. God chose us before the foundation of the world by his own grace, by his own will, his own desire. He unconditionally elected some to be saved, yeah. right? Limited atonement, what we're just describing right now, Christ died for his elect and his elect only, not for the, the, the whole world or that double jeopardy would come into effect. His sins would be, he, God couldn't condemn them uh, in hell because, and that, so but basically what that leads to is a thing called universalism, that just everybody's saved, okay? Yeah. And then irresistible call, when God calls us to himself, it's a call like he calls Lazarus out of the grave. And then, and people disagree with that. People think you can resist the Holy Spirit. Now we know people can resist the Holy Spirit for a season, but if God calls that person sovereignly, they cannot, they cannot resist it, okay? Mm-hmm. You can't resist the will of God. And then P, so two, this is TULIP, P, the perseverance of the saints, that every single person that God called will persevere, mm-hmm. will be glorified, yeah. will, be, will make it into the new heavens and the new earth. And there are people that don't believe that. There are people that believe that you can lose your salvation, that you can, um, you know, the Catholic Church teaches this, that there's mortal sins and stuff that you can lose your salvation on. <clears throat> and so there's a lot of people that, that disagree with a lot of these, and we think Scripture um, attests to this. We can, we can go to Scripture after Scripture to show where, where this is the case. Now, what I said in John 10 is there's many people that reject TULIP, this understanding of theology, and they inject it. They reject it for basically what I call, you could call it the Arminian or the, the semi-Christian daisy. And the semi-Christian daisy is he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Because my relationship with God would be completely dependent upon how well I'm behaving in the moment. How much faith do I have? Mm. How holy am I? How righteous am I? rather than God's favor and blessing and righteousness being granted to me solely by the forensic righteousness given to me by Christ, Mm. a righteousness outside of me put on me, where now my relationship with God is solid and secure and permanent Mm -hmm. because of the work of Christ. So I'm confident that God, what can separate me from the love of God, right? Nothing can separate me. But Arminians and people that don't believe this, they constantly get separated from the love of God mm-hmm. by their weak faith, their sins, their failures. Mm. It's kind of a yo-yo faith. Yeah, it, it, it becomes a yo-yo faith or a very uh, legalistic, mm-hmm. cold faith where they ignore the deeper parts of their soul and the dark recesses of their sin. So they're good churchgoers, they're Bible readers, but they don't repent of their envy. They don't repent of their righteousness. They don't repent of their good works. They don't repent of their pride, right? It yeah. becomes a pharisaical, yeah. a pharisaical religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. That's, good. That's good. Okay, we got into some deep stuff today. This has probably sprung up some questions. So if you've got questions, please, I'd love to see them. Email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com or at Sam at sacredcitychurch.com. We will do our best to answer those on the podcast. Guys, we do this because we love you. Um, This has a direct result on your worship and your joy in the Father. And so we hope that you see how good and gracious and glorious that our good God is. So um, we love you. We're praying for you. God bless.